Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Maximize Your Influence. This is Kurt Mortensen. This is episode, count it, 199, getting close to 200. We're going to do some incredible things for 200, so stay tuned for that. Today, we have an incredible guest, Robin Dreek. Robin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Kurt. Appreciate it, and congratulations on 199. That is a lot of work and a lot of great content you're providing for people. For So thank you for doing that, and congratulations hey, again. I appreciate that. Thanks for mentioning that. Just let everyone know that Robin Drake entered the federal law enforcement in 1997 after graduating from the U.S. Naval Academy and serving in the U.S. Marine Corps. He received advanced training and operational experience in social psychology and in practical application of the science of relationship development. So we're going to focus on that. Eventually, he rose to direct the Behavioral Analysis Program in Federal Law Enforcement Agency. He's currently an agent in the FBI, so careful what you say, everyone, and lives <laughs> in Fredericksburg, Virginia, also the author of The Code of Trust, Five Rules to Lead and Succeed. Again, welcome. Appreciate you being here. Thanks, Kurt. Appreciate it, too. It's a great opportunity to share um, exactly what you do as well with your audience. Well, that's why you're here. Well, let's start off with our first question of the day. As our listeners know, what is the worst vegetable on the planet and why? <laughs> it's a great question because if I look back to my childhood, I can easily point out that worst vegetable was Brussels sprouts. Oh. But as life progressed, things change. And somewhere along the way, someone devised a way to make them roasted and season them. Whereas I now actually really enjoy Brussels sprouts. So... My current bad one, maybe soggy eggplant. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go with soggy eggplant and Brussels sprouts, but it's interesting. I think sometimes I think parents just boil these things to death. Right. They were just pure nastiness, and then all of a sudden, wait a minute. If you cook them the right way and put a little spice on them, they might be good. So I think we've all changed a little bit there. All right, good answer. Those are all in the both in the top ten, eggplant and Brussels sprouts as worst vegetables. But let me ask you, I mean, you have a lot of experience, obviously, in the FBI, social psychology, relationship development. You're in the behavioral analysis program now. Why trust? Why did you focus on trust? Why did you write a book on trust? Why was that the thing that came out to you the most as you were looking at these elements? That's a great question. And believe it or not, no one's actually asked me that. They're looking for how you do it and everything rather than where it came from. A number of years ago, I started writing articles because I had people encourage me um, to write and share what I was doing, uh, running my team. And and really every aspect of my life because, well, first of all, I, I'm not a natural born leader and I'm not natural born at establishing rapport and trust. I am, as that bio reads, it's kind of, I'm kind of a hard charging type A guy, which in, in a lot of circumstances can undermine your ability to inspire trust just because our types of behavior tend to be really self-centered and self-focused, which does not inspire trust. But Along the way, you get better at these things. I had some great mentors and guides, and again, being on uh, my behavioral team and running the team, what I ultimately found about what I was doing, because someone asked me again to write an article, and I'll tell you what, there's no, nothing better in the world than to teach yourself when you actually try to write it down and explain it to someone else, uh, as you know, writing. When, when I reflected about what I did when I was running my team, I did a lot of assessments every year, probably 80 or 90 across the country. 
And when I took that step back and said, well, let me write about it, what I found was, you know, even though it's double agent operations and recruitment operations and all the hooky spooky spy stuff, what I was actually doing was I was strategizing trust. When I took that step back and looked at the elements that I came up with, what I was doing when I was trying to strategize trust, it becomes that new car effect, as I like to call it. You know, the day you buy a new car, you start seeing that car everywhere in your town. You think everyone else bought the same car. Well, it's because you give labels and meanings to things. And as soon as I gave the labels and meanings to, you know, my five steps of trust, that's when I started seeing it everywhere. Not just work, but relationships with your kids, your bosses, your coworkers, you know, whether you're dealing sales, whether you deal with financial advisors, you know, it's all exactly the same thing. If you have at least two people engaged in some activity, you needed some semblance of trust. And so what I realized was that I was strategizing trust. And the key of that was actually reversing it. Not thinking in terms of what I wanted to accomplish, but actually inspiring other people to want to come along for the ride. And that's the key word there, inspiring others to come along, to get them to want to do what you want them to do and like doing it. And so before we get to those steps, what do you see as far as the biggest blunder, the biggest mistake that people are doing right now to develop trust? Because the way I see it, trust is an all-time low and you have to really earn that trust. So what do you see as the biggest blunder? Easy. Very, very easy. The biggest blunder to blow trust is to talk in terms of what you think is important and your priorities, your likes, wants, dreams, aspirations, goals, personal, professional, long-term and short-term. People are constantly talking about themselves and all those things without regarding the priorities of others. So the number one thing you can do if you want to start reversing the trend that people are on is start talking in terms of the priorities of others and understand what they are. And once you understand what they are and you talk in terms of them, you now apply and offer resources of yourself for their priorities while aligning yours with theirs. That's the key. So getting in their shoes, asking the right question, being a better listener is a key to trust. So let's get into some of those principles of trust. Uh, one you mentioned is to suspend your ego, and it's probably easier said than done. <laughs> what, what, I mean, is that the function of being a better listener and asking the right questions, or what do you mean by that? Suspend your ego, it's kind of can even go deeper than that. Not talking and listening is great, but suspending your ego is actually putting aside your own desire for self-glory, for gratifying yourself by talking about your priorities, interests, dreams, and aspirations. And the big thing about suspending your ego is not arguing context uh, and not judging others and seeking to understand, rather. It's it's very difficult. When we hear something that we personally don't believe in, either morally, ethically, or anything else, we have this incessant need to want to correct and argue with someone. Uh, you want to establish trust? Don't do that. I can guarantee you what the effect will be. Oh, but it's so much fun to win that argument. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a really winner. <laughs> it's a, you win the argument, you lose your trust. I guess you have to decide what you want to do. Cause and effect, yep. Yeah, it's that's true. And you also I talk about being non-judgmental. I, I mean – we talk a lot about this show that you know, a lot of persuasion and influence involves that subconscious trigger, but people tend to judge us. There's that feeling that we have. Is it possible to be completely non-judgmental when we're working with someone trying to develop that trust? It's a long journey to be non-judgmental. Again, my, uh, my personality is to be very judgmental, and because I'm an extrovert, I like to tell people how judgmental I am. Do something long enough poorly and see the result, and you're going to start building a new muscle memory around something else. For 20 years now in the FBI, I've never been able to take a side because as soon as you take a side, half the world's going to line up against you. And if you're trying to ingratiate yourself to everyone you touch in your life because national security of the country depends on it, the last thing in the world you can do is, is judge someone's point of view, judge their actions. It's just a cause and effect. There's no right or wrong. It's just if you judge, I can guarantee you the shields are going to be up and there's going to be no dialogue and no trust. 
if that's what the effect you're going for, great, then go ahead and judge if it makes you feel good. But I can guarantee you, you're not going to have their shields down and they're not going to be open to trust. So non-judgmental validation, it's, it can be difficult as you're first starting to do this. It becomes exceptionally easier when you actually dive deep to understand the human being that you're interacting with and understand why they are like they are. And that ensues tolerance, which helps you be non-judgmental. Okay, good point. So how do you know? I mean, you're in the FBI. You're probably taught to judge people instinctively, shoot them, not shoot them, right? Enemy, friend. It's probably a little bit different in the world of influence. Is there a time to judge, or how do we know when there it is the time to judge or not to judge? Or should we suspend it completely? Well, it's interesting. Uh, luckily, I've never been in the shoot 'em up stuff. I, I've worked on uh, intelligence and counterintelligence my whole career, so fortunately, I haven't had to make life or death on the spot decisions like that. What you're talking about in judgment there is there a time to judge? I'd say no. What you can do is that you can assess the relationship as the other person sees it from their perspective. So you can manage your own expectations. What I mean is you enter a relationship with someone, whether it's business or personal or professional, and you're willing to offer a certain amount of resources in furtherance of your priorities and goals and also in furtherance of their priorities and goals. Otherwise, you know, why would they enter a relationship with you? The thing that helps you not judge in that situation or judge, if you will, is to assess what you can reasonably expect uh, in reciprocity. And so I keep my expectations exceptionally low because most people are not really vested in your prosperity at all. What they're doing is they're taking actions that are in terms of what's important to them. And as long as you're offering resources that are in terms of what's important to them and their priorities, I can guarantee you they're going to take they're going to take those actions. But in genuine let it go over abundance of reciprocity to you. I just have low expectations with it. So and some people might call that judging. I just call it, you know, managing my expectations so I don't get angry or frustrated by any situation. Another question as far as you bring up honor. Explain that. What do you mean by honor? Well, it's honor reason. It's about having a methodology that keeps you cognitively disconnected enough so that you can actually keep your brain functioning without getting emotionally hijacked. You know, all the negative emotions that we can experience when we're facing situations that might be uncomfortable or not so beneficial to us, you know, like frustration, anger, resentment, discontent, all these things kind of cloud our ability to remain rational. And so that's why I call it honor reason, because you want to make sure you remain rational and thoughtful during the entire engagement, because ultimately what the code of trust is about, it's a code of empathy because you can't inspire action and you can't, you know, influence if that's the word you like to use. You can't do that without actually having empathy. But if you have too much and you get emotionally connected to the choices and decisions that other people make, then you're going to be on that emotional roller coaster with them. And it's going to ultimately not allow you to think cognitively and on a reason. Well, you mentioned being emotionally hijacked. And I think mm-hmm. everyone's been there. They feel the anger, the blood's leaving the brain. In fact, I was reading a study the other day. It takes 20 minutes just to become normal again. People all get there. They know they're not supposed to. So when you sense you are getting emotional, the anger's rising. Any suggestions or recommendations to get back to neutral or normal to to have that conversation? Because I'm sure when you get hijacked like that, you lose all trust. Absolutely. Great question again. So what I do is first got to recognize what you do when you get emotionally hijacked. When my anger goes up or my frustration, I can become very dominant and aggressive, which is completely backwards from inspiring trust. And so as soon as I recognize that emotion, I quickly go to the code. And what I mean by that is my core three elements of the code of trust for me that are always my end goals with every single human being I engage is very simple. It's happy, healthy, professional relationships. Two is open, honest communication. And three is I make myself an available resource for the prosperity of others. And so what I do is as soon as I start getting emotionally hijacked in any situation, I immediately go to those three core elements. And I say to myself is what is about to come out of my mouth and my actions going to help or hinder 
healthy professional relationships? Am I going to be honoring open, honest communication? And I'm going to still make myself an available resource of the prosperity of others. And so I start thinking automatically about my actions and my words and making sure it's honoring, as I call it, honoring the code. And that gets me thinking. And when I start thinking, the emotional hijacking and flooding that like takes place over that 20 minutes gets dissipated even more rapidly. Now, also you talk about validating others. Is that uh, a praise thing, a self-esteem thing, all of the above? Why is that important? It can be those things, but what I mean by validating others, um, validation, and some people like to say, well, you're just agreeing with people and patronizes. No, it's actually not that at all. Validation is much deeper than that. What validation is, it's seeking to understand the individual that you're engaging with. You have to couple it with being non-judgmental because if you start validating and seeking to understand, but you're displaying judgmental, nonverbal behavior, well, then it's not working at all. So validation is merely seeking to understand the thoughts, opinions, ideas, and priorities of those people that you're engaging. Because what we're ultimately doing with these five principles is you're demonstrating affiliation and value. Human beings, ancient tribal man, you know, we 30, 40, 50, it was the first form of social welfare, healthcare. If you were not part of the tribe, the likelihood of you passing on your genetic coding was exceptionally low. And so what we're constantly, what our, what our ancient mammalian brain is constantly searching for is demonstration of value and affiliation. And so each one of these five things is what, what I'm ultimately always trying to do is I'm demonstrating the value that other people have and our affiliation, what we have overlapping in common. And validation is one great way to demonstrate value because and demonstrate affiliation because you're seeking to understand that person from their point of view without arguing it. So ultimately when you're looking to demonstrate that value and affiliation – is that you're just trying to have people feel comfortable around you so they feel more trust that you're more like them? Yes, and the way we communicate demonstrates value and trust all the time. So what I do is, I, I mean, think about it. On an average day, if you don't consciously think, and even with the people closest to us in our lives, I'd say roughly 3 to 5% of the time we are actually talking in terms of the other person. And what I mean by that is when you're talking in terms of the other person, things that are important to them, that's when their brain is rewarding them chemically for engaging with you. Dopamine's flowing, serotonin, oxytocin, and bloodstream. I mean, our pleasure centers are firing when someone is demonstrating that value and affiliation. And so what you can do is that there's four things I add to every statement I make, whether it's written or, or spoken, when it really matters more. And so I'm always asking thoughts and opinions because when you seek someone's thoughts and opinions, that means you value them and those thoughts and opinions so their brain rewards them. Next thing I'm going to do, I'm going to talk in terms of their priorities, the things that are important to them. Because if I'm not talking in terms of things that are important to them, they're not going to listen. They're being polite. Uh, next, I'm going to validate them. And that's we just talked about that. I'm going to seek to understand those points of view and those the context of how they see the world. And finally, I'm going to empower them with choice, because ultimately the best way to demonstrate, again, value to someone is give them a choice because we don't give people choices that we don't value in some way or have affiliation with. So those are the four things I build in to demonstrate just those things. I like it. I like it. So in your final one, you're talking about be generous. Is that like with cash? I mean, can you build trust with cash or what are you talking about here? <laughs> It's being generous with whatever they deem a resource for their prosperity kind of goes back to my third anchor because this comes up in cases where if someone said I'll ask a case agent, I'll say, hey, so, you know, what's this person's motivations? What are their priorities? And they'll say cash. And I said, well, cash is just a thing to get you something else. What are they doing with the money? And well, they're they're buying clothes. They want a new house. I said, well, why why do they want a new house? Well, I said they, they're trying to provide a comfortable lifestyle for them and their family. I said, well, there's a good end goal. So basically what I mean by being generous is understand what it is that they're actually seeking. How do they – that's why I use that word prosperity. Being generous is offering yourself without expectation or reciprocity 
whatever resources you have for their prosperity, for the other person. Leaders don't keep a scorecard. You know, leaders give because it's about everyone else. But the greatest thing about this is, is when you understand what your goals and priorities are, you understand what the other person's goals and priorities are. And when you empower people with choice and you're overabundant with those things you're willing to offer, the probability of, of reciprocity with people aligning with you is it's overwhelming. It's I, as a matter of fact, it's in my experience working the code so far, it's completely flawless because, again, you're to inspire trust. It's about making it all about everyone else. Well, having a lot of clarity on what it is you're trying to accomplish, but because you actually have have given yourself, you know, I call it the Toyota Green Tundra effect. I got a Toyota Tundra. The day I bought that truck, 500 people in my town bought the same thing because it has label and meaning. So that's why as long as you give your own labels and meanings to your priorities, labels and meanings to other people's priorities, now you're generous with your resources, them aligning together, it's it just will happen. Well, listeners, I hope you caught that to where you ask the right questions to find that true value. When you go with cash, well, to buy a house, maybe it's to take care of their family. And that's important to really find out those values out to build that trust. So, Robin, what's the one thing I missed, the one thing you really want our listeners to know about building that code of trust? Uh, I think you hit it a little bit at the beginning, too. And, you know, I've been asked this a few times where, you know, what one challenge you can leave someone with, you know, to get better at trust. And, and I would say do two things. If you could add two things, these two things to your life every day, you are going to naturally start inspiring much trust. First one is seek the greatness in others first. You know, a lot of people like to spend their time poking at what someone's doing wrong or some insecurity they have. So seek their greatness first, because if you want to start a conversation, you got to start with their greatness. Second is start learning the priorities of all those around you, those needs, wants, dreams and aspirations, personal, professional, long term and short term. Because as soon as you start understanding those priorities and start talking in terms of them, I guarantee you're going to start establishing trust. Perfect. Well said. Thank you. Appreciate your time. So where can our listeners find out more about you and your book on the Code of Trust? Sure. Um, you can go to my website, which is www.peopleformula.com, all one word. Code of Trust is available everywhere on August 8th. Um, you go to my website, and you can also follow me on Twitter. It's uh, R-D-R-E-E-K-E. That's my handle, Ardreek. It's pretty simple, but uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from you, and if there's anything I can ever do, let me know. Awesome. Thanks, Robin. Appreciate that information. Listeners, take it to heart. Hope you took great notes today and use that to become a better persuader, to be more influential, and to go out and persuade with power. 